Hi, I'm Jeffrey Gordon. I'm the president of the American Birding Association and the executive producer of the American Birding Podcast. All of us at the ABA are grateful to you for being such loyal fans and listeners to this show. Right now, during our nesting season appeal, we're asking you to do what you can to help keep this show going and all the many free programs that the ABA offers, and particularly to help our young birder programs to ensure the next generation of leaders in birding and conservation get the mentoring and inspiration that has been so valuable to so many of us. Please, today, go to aba.org give or call us at 800-850-2473 and do what you can to help build a better future for birds and for people. Again, that's aba.org give or 800-850-2473. Thanks so much and good birding. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. A little bit of bird names for birds news to lead us off. Just a brief update here so we don't have to go into it again in the This Month in Birding next week. It's one of those things that is probably not worth a big discussion and more the passing on of information. The American Ornithological Society has new leadership, a new president in Mike Webster, a new executive director and Judith Scarl, former podcast guest, FYI. I admit I do not know enough about the organization to know how those two positions sort of interact with each other, um, other than to say academia is kind of weird that way. But anyway, Webster has taken it upon himself to initiate an ad hoc committee to take a look at the bird name thing and issue some findings, possibly by the end of the year. So, so far as I can tell, the diversity and inclusion committee who hosted the online panel last month was not involved in setting this committee up, which I, I found a little odd. In fact, the existence of the committee was unknown until Webster was interviewed for a couple of articles on this initiative that came out recently in the Washington Post and NPR. Links in the show notes if you're interested. A side note, if people are wondering why we're still talking about this, it's because the Washington Post and NPR are, and I, I honestly can't recall a bird-specific issue that has gotten so much interest in mainstream media, I, for better or for worse. As of the time I am recording this, we don't know who is on the committee. We don't know the makeup of the committee. Uh, I have heard back channel that the chair is willing to give all sides a hearing. So that's productive, at least, I think, though everything else is is more or less a mystery. I, I pass on this information in the interest of disclosure. I am a little bit disheartened that the DNI committee was not involved, given that they had done so much work over the last year with the many, many stakeholders involved here. Uh, I hope all of that is not undermined by this sort of independent effort. Uh, but I am less than enamored at the lack of transparency thus far. We'll see where things go. On the show this week, the Birding Book Club is back. Frank Izaguirre and Donna Schulman join me to talk about guides to Mexico and Central America. And we get into some interesting conversation about what and who field guides are for, as you would expect from a panel of this caliber. All that after this week's Redbirds. <laughs> This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of June, 2021. Two first records to talk about this week, and we'll start up in New Brunswick, where a small flock of black-bellied whistling ducks at Athelville represents the first confirmed record of this species for the province. There was an unconfirmed one from 2014. And the furthest outlying record of a species that is seeing a real eruption north and east this summer. We've already seen some records from Connecticut, their second, and New Hampshire, I'm not sure how many previous, but it, it can't have been many this month. 
In the same vicinity, a little egret in Vermont would represent the first for that state. A bit surprising, given that they have been annual in nearby Maine for several years now. I guess those birds are not inclined to wander. Finally, finally one has. That's all I have for you this week in firsts. A little bit short, but to check out all the rest, read the Rare Bird Alert every Friday at aba.org slash rba. You can also join the Rarity Sharing Group on Facebook. That's aba Rare Bird Alert. I'm Orieta Estrada. I'm Taiki James. We are the co-founders of Amplify the Future and the co-chairs of the Black and Latin Experter Scholarship Fund. And we have a special announcement for you. I need the attention of all Black and Latinx folks with the love for birds. If you're currently a full-time undergraduate student and you live in or attend a college or university in the United States or Puerto Rico, you should apply today to the Black and Latinx Birder Scholarship at AmplifyTheFuture.org. June 18th is the deadline, and it's right around the corner. But we're offering an extension to those who need a little extra time to get in their supporting documentation. That deadline is July 18th. This is what we're asking for. A two-page essay, two-minute video or even a good Twitter thread. We have at least three scholarships to give this year. The birding community wants to support you. Just let us know you and how you plan to help your birding communities. This is open to undergraduates 18 years and older. This isn't just a scholarship for younger students. Higher ed happens at any age. To see specific rules and apply, please go to amplifythefuture.org. That's amplifythefuture.org. Have questions? Email hello at amplifythefuture.org. Or follow us on social media at Birders Fun. Not a potential applicant, but want to support us? Visit amplifythefuture.org. We can't wait to hear from you. I'm excited to reconvene the Birding Book Club for the first time in 2021. I am joined, as usual, for this segment by 10,000 Birds book reviewer Donna Shulman and Birding Magazine media review editor Frank Izagiri. Hello to you both. Welcome back. Hello. Great to be back. Hi, guys. Thrilled to be back. Frank, and also congratulations on the recent birth of your daughter. Mm-hmm. I hope you and uh, Adrian are doing well. Thanks so much, guys. We're, we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I, he says it's a yawns. That's right. Yeah, you can't see it, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like so. My warbler list is 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 a little down um, this migration, but a lot of times I'm get to hear the robins start chirping in the front yard as I mm-hmm. you know pace mm-hmm. through the halls, and it's a little <laughs> bit of a different experience. But um, I'm enjoying it a lot. So yeah, I, I actually added great horned owl to my yard list. Uh, when my daughter was born, because I was up <laughs> really late and uh, with the window open to the back. So, yeah, it happens. Mm, that's cool. Got that one already, though. Yeah, there you go. No new ones. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're finally going to tackle the genre that we have been sort of avoiding for the first few uh, episodes. Field guides, the, the one great birding contribution to world literature. Uh, we're going to focus on Mexico and Central America. It is a, a part of the world that many AVA area birders have traveled to. It's uh, a lot of birders' introduction to birding outside the U.S. and Canada. So I think that you know there's a lot of relevancy here. And we'll also kind of throw in bird finding guides and the like. But I think this will be sort of a field guide heavy conversation. Um, so let's set a baseline here. I want to ask you two, what makes a good field guide and what do you look for in a field guide? Okay. I think there's two, maybe three parts to a good field guide. You need accurate information 
in terms of text and illustrations. And and I'm avoiding for now whether the illustrations should be artwork or photographs. <laughs> so you have the information. You need some way to organize the information so it sort of makes sense. And usually that's taxonomically, but there are guides that do it by color. And then to me, the most important part as a uh, librarian is you need a way for users to find the birds that they want to, to know about really quickly. And I think that's the part that's really open to creativity and that I'd like to see more creativity in, especially online. Yeah, I think that's especially relevant to guides to uh, places where we don't live. Like we are sort of very familiar with the birds of the ABA area of the U.S. and Canada. I know I know, I can flip through a field guide and find what I'm looking for pretty quickly, but I can't do that in a guide to Central America, to Mexico, because I don't know those birds as well. Uh, for me, what makes, what makes a good field guide or, or what do I look for a field guide is a question that I can answer in so many different ways that it's almost like dizzying. Um, I love, personally, I love any kind of field guide that is unconventional or innovative or even subversive sometimes. I just I just really like field guides. And it, the funny thing with field guides is like, there's a lot of funny things about them, but if you try to pin down what makes something a field guide and what makes something not a field guide, like to really delineate the difference, you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to do it, I don't think. Um, that's just, it's just a very amorphous term that is used for a lot of different kinds of books, but we generally like, we can recognize what a field guide is. It's something that we recognize more almost by feel. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about like, if we're talking about Central American and, and Mexican field guides, let's say, you know, my goals are more typical of, uh, of a birder when I'm, I'm going to go on a several week long trip and try to see as many piece, uh, species as possible. One of the things that I really benefit the most from, I think, is to have the good, really good mini maps right next to the entry. Mm -hmm. um, those just help so much because, you know, there's there's a lot of species that um, can be really difficult to distinguish the difference from, especially visually. Like if you really know the, the, the vocalizations, which, you know, maybe you kind of will like by the end of your trip, it, it can be much easier. But visually... You can sense the ID like, oh, you know, I'm just not on that part of the country right now. So that's not yeah. what it is. So <laughs> that helps a lot. Um, but I also really like to see like elevation ranges that yeah. can make a big difference in, in, that, um, in, the, in, in that part of the world. Yeah, really important in the neotropics. Yep. yep. Uh, in the textual spaces, I, I personally look less for like uniformity of information and more just like any concisely mm -hmm. presented tidbit that will that will clinch an idea, like whether it's tips for finding a bird based on behavioral clues. Mm -hmm. Like if it's if it's an army and attendant, like I, I really appreciate just having that in there. Um, even yeah. if I like kind of know in the back of my head, but just to be reminded, a lot of those birds you just don't really see them mm -hmm. if there's not army ants. So, mm -hmm. you know, that helps a lot. Or if it's a tail flicking bird. I love those things. I really like to see different birds have different clues that you need to key in on. And you're not going to, you're not going to identify every bird the same way. Right. right. Mm -hmm. But I, I would challenge the idea that we know a field guide when we see one, because 
uh, the original field guides were compact. You can carry in the field. And as we'll see when I think we get to some of these titles, we're getting pretty heavy books. It's hard to avoid that in, in places where there are, you know, thousands of birds. Well, we do have yes, over a thousand yes, in yes, the yes, ABA yes, area, yes. but yeah. But I mean, is, is that a definition of a field guide, whether or not you can carry right. it in the field? That, that's my question. Yeah, this is a this is a good part of the world to kind of start on because I think two of the most long-standing titles in this sort of genre, uh, Howlin' Webb's Birds of Mexico and Northern Central America and the Styles and Scutch Original Guide to Birds of Costa Rica, were not set up in kind of that traditional plates on one side, information maps on the other side way, and I think that made them less useful. And that's saying nothing of the information. Obviously, the, the species accounts written by Steve Howell are, are filled with amazing information because that's you know, the kind of the birder he is. And the illustrations by Sophie Webb are, are fantastic, but I don't think that the book itself is as useful as it could be just because of that's the way that those field guides used to be. And for a very long time, the only mm-hmm. field guides available are, are set up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, Nate, one time in, in one, one episode, you were saying that what felt like you started doing, this is kind of random, but you started, you said you started doing a, a BBS route and you felt like when you started doing that, that was like, you, you had really made it to like birder down. You were like, <laughs> right. you, you yeah. were like a real birder. And for me, one of the things I did um, is cut the plates out. Of, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Styles and Scutch. And I did it also for another book, the Panama Ridgely book and, and also the Ecuador book. And I laminated them and I like spiral bound them myself. And that for me was like my thing was like okay, right? You know, like, yeah, you're the real deal now. You like you made it. Yeah, you're, you're defacing a field guy in the middle of America. <laughs> that was a very hard thing for me to do. When I, I know went you to Ecuador. spend a lot of money on those guides, and yeah, you don't want to yeah. just immediately cut them up. Yeah, I'm but, a librarian, yeah, right, right. you know. But it was a rite of passage. It was a rite of yeah. passage, and and people don't really need to do that anymore, or they don't do it. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong about that. But. Yeah, they do it less and less. I mean. You also have some apps coming into the picture also, mm-hmm. um, which are, uh, we can a, talk about it later. That's a different uh, panel that I'm going to con- convene for, for apps. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry no. Seriously? Really? <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. <laughs> I don't have any um, experience with those apps. I have no idea about them. So maybe you can speak to that. Uh, there's apps. And then there are eBird versions of some of yes, these guides, yeah, which is it, different from an app, but you can at least carry it on your phone or your iPad into the yeah. field. From what I could tell, Howell and Webb, for example, are not available. Yeah. And I don't know if I'd want to read that text on my <laughs> phone anyway. Yeah, it's, it's substantial. Do you feel like you ask something different from your book if it's from a place where you live? Like you're, uh, you're asking something different from like your mm-hmm. Sibley or your Nat Geo guide than what you're asking from a place where you're just visiting. Right. Do you need a field guide to be different or are you essentially looking for the, the same thing? Ah, that's a really good question. A lot of the uh, field guides for Central America have these uh, introductions where they talk about the habitat. Yeah. I think what would even be better if they uh, talked about families of birds new to uh, North American birders. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you need a lot more introductory material. Yeah, that brings up an interesting point too, because are these guides written for local birders or are they written for traveling birders? And I think until relatively recently, they were by and large written for traveling birders. Mm-hmm. But now that the birding scene is growing in a lot of these places, certainly in the neotropics, 
uh, Middle America and, and Northern South America especially, there's a need for a guide written from the perspective of the local birder. And I, I think uh, Robert Gallardo's self-published Guide mm-hmm. to the Birds of Honduras is a good example of a book that tries to do both. Yeah. And it's one of the few guides that I believe is available in Spanish as well. Yeah. Well, related to that, certainly one thing that I would look for or to answer your question about what is different that I would like to see from books to these regions than from what I would you know want to see from a book about the U.S. and Canada or whatever is I... I personally, and I don't know if any of them do this or very few of them, I would like to see a little bit of space devoted to, because it doesn't take up a lot of space, to the local names for birds. Mm-hmm. Um, because for, for a bunch of reasons. One is that first, that can be a really helpful way to confirm identification. If you can communicate with people who live there and know the birds, right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not unrelated to ID. Um, and second, it's it's really it's really interesting and fun. Third, I mean, it's I think a common objection is that there, you know there's not enough space, and a lot of times there can be for you know if you're in a Spanish speaking place, there can be many different local names. You know, it's easy for me to say I'm not like a designer or 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 an, or an author, you know, slaving away at trying to make everything fit um, without like taking over the margins. But I, I don't think that takes up a lot of space, and I just think you know that's it's better spent on that than like details about identification and breeding habits and stuff like that. No, uh, which you know, those are a lot of those birds are very cryptic nesters and you know <laughs> rarely observed mating and those kinds of things anyway. Yeah, it gets to the point of like, what's, what's, who's the guide for? Like, right, I don't necessarily exactly. need to know this information if I'm just trying to identify it on a two-week trip to uh, to Panama. Yeah and, yeah, and it does, like, it's like you were saying, it's, it's really true that the, the target audience for these books is pretty obvious, is not people that are actually from these places. And, and it's good that, you know, that might be changing a little bit. But um, I think that including the names in the dominant language of the people that live there does mm-hmm. make it, it expands even if it's still like written in english it expands the, the audience a little bit and it makes some of that information more accessible yeah um, yeah i think that's a really good point the i think that the um the jesse fagan komar peterson guide to northern central america which came out in the last five years uh is also published in spanish as well you you can correct me if i'm wrong but um yeah, that's, that, that, I don't know. it's weird that that feels like an exception rather than the rule. But, you know, with limitations to publishing companies, like whether it's, you know, worth it, I think yeah. it increasingly is. But like, where, where, does, where do you draw that line? If I recall correctly from conversations I've read online about this, translation to Spanish is tough because of the variation in how the language is used across yeah. countries. Yeah. There is a book that I just saw come out recently that I have uh, the title, I, I have it saved somewhere, but it's something like a book in Spanish that is something like, it's like a how to attract birds to your backyard type mm-hmm. book. Uh, and I think it's like a Colombian book. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> how to turn your how to turn your home into a uh, birder-specific bed and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's exciting to see those kinds of books come out. I'm tempted to see if I can get a copy of it and, 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 and maybe try to review it for the magazine. We'll, we'll yeah. see how reasonable that is. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's really nice that, that there's more demand for, for that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's an important point that these books are used differently 
by North American birders than a Sibley's or a National Geo. And they're used in two ways. People will buy them to study before the trip, mm-hmm. and then they'll take them with them to try. Usually, a lot of birders are with a professional guide. They're not trying to identify birds. They're just looking up what they've already seen. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, which is good, because that way you remember the bird. Uh, but it's a different process, and often birders I know will buy like a Howell and Webb uh, to study beforehand and then take the more compact version or mm-hmm. an app with them on the trip. Yeah, I did that the first time I traveled to Costa Rica. Um, I got the Styles and Scooch guide, and then um, this was about the time that that first, uh, the new, the, the Garrigas Dean mm-hmm. Birds of Costa Rica guide came out. Um, but it was about that time and I bought that one, which was, you know, it was, it was long awaited. It was like a really nice compact field guide to the birds of a very heavily birded country. So it was, it's, it's amazing how many of those, these books are relatively recent. Like we're talking within the last 15 years, um, that a lot of these books have been published with a mm-hmm. mind towards being useful in the field as opposed to being references. It says a lot about the, the increasing mind towards tourism from a lot of these places. The ecotourism, which has been interrupted. Yeah. And will right. hopefully, hopefully be re- hopefully reconvening. Soon. Yeah, coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just rereading my review of the Peterson Guide and, 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 and I say, and there's no field guides for Nicaragua. Well, now we do have one. Now, it's Nicaragua. a really nice one, too. Yeah. 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 The, um, what is it? The, the Chavaria and Duria. Uh-huh. And I may be um, mispronouncing that. I'm, I apologize. Um, interestingly enough, that is one of the few guides to this region that's written by a woman. Mm-hmm. And of course, Robert Dean is is the artist. I don't know when we want to get into our Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. Um, Robert Dean is like this pervasive character in all of these guides. He is literally like the illustrator to uh, to Central America. The Richard Garrigas guide. The, um, he's in the Fagan Komar Guide to Northern South America, North and Central America. He's uh, in the, I don't know, he's in the Panama Guide. Like he's the everywhere. Panama Guide, yeah. which was not that recent. Um, he has an interesting history. Yeah. You should try and get him on the podcast, Nate. Yeah, <laughs> is it you? You were when we were discussing this beforehand. You mentioned that he was like a musician, like a professional musician for a long time. A Brit- he's British rock musician. <laughs> I thought at first when I was looking him up, I thought they were two Robert Deans, but it's the same person. The same Robert Dean. It's like the Rick Wright from Pink Floyd is not the same as the Rick Wright who, who frequently no. rides in birding. But the Robert Dean is the real, uh, real Robert Dean. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I don't know how I feel about his illustrations. I think that they're serviceable. Um, certainly, I mean, if we want to talk about beautiful illustrations of the birds of the region, I think, um, obviously, the new Dale Vallely Guide to mm. Birds of Central America is sort of the standard, the new standard for that. But Robert Dean's guides, Robert Dean's illustrations are are, are serviceable. They're good. I, I have not found that they are not, you know, overly different from what the birds that you see in the field. Uh, I think he does a fine job. So there's, I think it makes sense that his, his fingerprints and literal prints are like all over these guides to this region. I examined some of the illustrations when I reviewed the um, Peterson Guide um, and compared it some of the same illustrations to the Costa Rica Guide. So he does apparently touch up or re-ink or um, improve on past illustrations. It's hmm. not like he's just hmm. recycling them. So I, I'm going to ask this question, and I think I probably know the answer to it, but what is the best guide 
to the birds of this region in terms of information and plates, quality of plates. <laughs> the best guide. The best, the number one guide. Yeah. For me, it's the, it's the Vallali Dale ah. book that came out last year or two years ago now. My goodness. Donna, we talked about it on a best bird books of that year. Mm. I think it was 2019. Mm. Uh, it was it was my best bird book of that year. It's it's beautiful. It's big. Like it really does strain the definition of a field guide. And maybe mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be a field guide. It's really more of like just a guide. It um, it, it but says it's, a, really it's nice. a guide, but it's part of the Princeton Field Guide series. <laughs> it's a mixed information there. <laughs> yeah, I had an issue when I reviewed it that I thought the inking was a little light. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that. I got a lot of feedback about that where. Birders were saying that's probably true, but since it's consistent, I understand what the images are conveying. Mm-hmm. But they are they are beautiful, and and you could tell Dale Dyer, who's associated with the American Museum of Natural History, worked from specimens as well as from photographs and from visits to the countries. Yeah, it's sort of the the culminating the you know book of this you know, growth in books to this region. Um, but it has been really neat to see a lot of other, you know, guides. Uh, Mexico, I think, still needs that sort of definitive guide because the the one that birds are still used to the region is the Howell Webb one, which for, you know, it's it's a very good guide, but it does, it definitely feels dated. I know that, you know, our maybe a colleague, Michael Redder, has been working on a guide to Mexico for some time. Hmm. Um, so that may be forthcoming, but I definitely think Mexico needs a guide because, and this might get to another question, how much does having a really good guide contribute to birders wanting to go to a place? Ah. Because I feel like Mexico, its ecotourism possibilities are limited by the fact that it does not have that really great guide, despite the fact that Mexico has fantastic birding, especially down in the southern part in Oaxaca and Chiapas and and Mm -hmm. Yucatan and all that. I mean, there's some amazing birds, tons of endemics that people maybe underestimate i mean i think there's like almost a hundred maybe even over a hundred like there's a lot of endemic birds in mexico especially in the mountains in the middle part of the country but um you know the fact that it does not have that really great definitive guide is sort of limits people's interest in it that's my theory (laughs) i i think it depends on the kind of birding you want to do yeah perhaps um if you're going with a guided group you may be relying on the person guide but if you're interested in a more independent birding, that would be a factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Phoebe Snetzinger did tons and tons of research before she would go on her travels uh, because there really weren't field guides to practically any countries right. at that time. Yeah, there's a few countries that have really gotten out in front with the you know with ecotourism, um, and I think some other countries that have great great stuff are still trying to catch up like Costa Rica, also Panama, um, and, and some others too. And, and so I think that, that that's related to the fact that Costa Rica had, you know, relatively speaking, the styles of scotch came out qu- quite a while ago, and then, and then the Garigas came out. Um, so I, I think that that's a factor. I agree. Yeah, it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. Like, which comes first, the ecotourism interest or the field guide? <laughs> they feed off each other. Yeah, right. They yeah, do. but... There is probably some value and prestige attached to a country if there are a lot of books about it. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much about Costa Rica 
uh, not just birds. There's, uh, you know, books about their butterflies and their mm-hmm. mammals and their wildlife. So if you're new to the area, you might think, well, Costa Rica is the place to go, which it's a good starting point. Sure. Um, but it doesn't mean there aren't great birds in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which does not. Well, I guess which now has that Fagan Comar guide to uh, Northern Central America, which is very good. And of course, the the Vallely Dyer, uh, the Vallely Dyer guide. I do sort of remember interest in Panama kind of growing alongside the guide that came out in the the what is it the Ridgely guide or is that the older one? I can mix up. There's a uh, the Ridgely one is the older one, I believe, yeah. and then uh, George Angers. Yeah. George Anger's guide. That's the one I'm thinking. 2010. Of. Yeah. What What about the bird finding guides? There are so many bird finding guides to these regions now that have come out in the last mm-hmm. decade. Um, I feel like that that is sort of the next step. Like you you get the field guide, you get the ecotourism interest, and then you've got the bird finding guide for people who are not going along on those uh, mm-hmm. guided tours who are perhaps perhaps interested in um in going after these these places themselves. It feels like um. That, that's sort of the evolution of the ecotourism industry in uh, in a lot of these countries. I think the bird finding guides have other uses too. Like, for example, there are some people who are going on a family vacation and mm-hmm. they want to do birding. A bird finding guide could steer them towards a place like Monte Verde in um, Costa Rica, uh, where you could do both, you know, mm-hmm. and it would tell you what birds you'd find there. I've actually really never looked at any of them very closely. Neither have I. Yeah, I don't know them very well. I know that there's a lot of them out now. Costa Rica obviously has one in Panama, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, for me, I'm surprised that there's, it's not, it's, it's more than just like a chapter on, you know, the Canopy Tower, which, which probably says more to my ignorance than about anything else. And Canopy Tower's huge role in, um, in promoting bird tourism in Panama. Um, there's also one to Belize, which has always been like a very popular place to go to, um, though fallen off in the last few years, I think, uh, compared to some of the other destinations. Belize even has like an ABA lane guide, which yes. uh, have not been published in some time. Yes, I didn't know that until I, I saw it on your list. I've used a few of these fairly extensively. I, I used Barrett Lawson's A Bird Finding Guide to Costa Rica fairly familiar with that book. I've also used the bird finding guide to Panama um, by Anger and, and a few other authors. I, I really like these books. I mean, the, I think the way they get used a lot is birders will, they'll sort of like triangulate between these kind of books when they exist, mm-hmm. eBird and yeah. a guide. And then when mm-hmm. you have like all three points of knowledge, then, then you sort of like figure out what you want to do. <laughs> um, for Lawson, I remember, I think that like the knock on these types, types of books is like, these are such bird rich areas. There's only, there's only so much you can do in terms of like giving the reader a sense of what birds they can see in a place. You know, I remember, I remember I went to one area in Costa Rica in Osa Peninsula that I, it, it, it was described in the book as being like a really slam dunk spot for a uniform crate. And I was like pretty excited to to try and get that one because you know I love the rails and and they're hard to get. Um, but then it was just like we were there and we had a guide there and uh, Adrian and I and the guy was like, well, you know, like the pools are very shallow this year, so no uniform breaks. And I was like, oh shoot, you know, like the, yeah. the book made it seem like you know this was a great chance mm-hmm. for it. And mm-hmm. it's just like, well, you know, the thing with these books is like the author like comes to the place and basically writes about what birds 
they saw when they were there. <laughs> and it's like, that, that's, that's, they're not static in that way a lot yeah. of times. Um, so th- th- it's, it's kind of like a little bit, there's like a little bit of strain on the format of the book uh, as being like a printed entity um, mm-hmm. for, for how, how well they can really convey the bird life in a place. But I, I still really like them. I used, I used the, the Panama one a little bit when I was in the Panama city area on pipeline road and stuff. And I have a Steve Howell one from Mexico too, which is kind of, it's kind of a hilarious story about that because when Adrian and I got married, we, we had almost nobody at our wedding. Our wedding had like 10 people in it, but a few people had asked for a registry and, <laughs> but Adrian was really stressed out about doing the registry. And so I was like, you know, don't worry about it. I'll do it. And I actually, I, I could think of almost like nothing I wanted to put on it. Uh, so I put like one conventional thing on our wedding registry, which was, um, it's like a food processor and, and, you know, we got that. And, and, and then like, I just put like a bunch of like bird books and like, I love it. And other natural history books. Like the really and, hard ones to find, the ones that you yeah. wouldn't buy for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some other stuff too. It wasn't all natural history. I put like some old movies that I'd never seen. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, are you doing a registry for your daughter now, Frank? Yeah. <laughs> like she, knew, she needs new Suaro binoculars. Yeah, my, daughter, my daughter really needs the new uh, Steve Hilty Guide to Columbia. I wonder if you could run. <laughs> You know, one of our cousins actually did send us, yeah, it just wasn't on the registry, but it, it sent us a really cute, really cute little outfit. It was a future birder, so we got some photos <laughs> of her on that. But so anyway, so the wedding registry, I did put, you know, Steve Howell's book on there, and I actually got it. So I got it. <laughs> that, that was from the same cousins, actually. So anyway, um, I, I so I have the book. I've never been to Mexico, but uh, I, I like, you know, I got it. It was such a great gift. Those were like the only two things we got from our, our other people gave us nice <laughs> gifts. People gave us nice gifts, but not really from the, the register. Ooh, I wonder why. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I like, you know, I have I have the word. The word document exists with like our, our trip to Oaxaca planned out thanks to this book. <laughs> so, well, that yeah. that book is from 1998, but I would love to read it because it's by Steve N. G. Howell. Yeah. <laughs> Tied into this rise of birding in a lot of these places, I wonder if we're going to see like better bird finding guides. I mean, not necessarily like Steve Howell. He spent a ton of time in Mexico. He is the person uh, in a lot of ways to write the bird finding guide to Mexico, uh, especially if it's aimed towards a towards a US Canada audience. But, um, you know, there's an opportunity here for a lot of people kind of coming up in these birding cultures in a lot of these places to, you know, put new bird finding guides out that are going to be, you know, better just because they live there and they're able to take advantage of the sort of seasonal changes like the one that you are that you experienced, Frank. Well, Patrick O'Donnell in Costa Rica did that. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a colleague of mine on 10,000 Birds, uh, but he did not ask me to talk about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has an e-bird out called How to See, Find, and Identify Birds in Costa Rica. An e-book, you mean? It's an e-book. What you can I put say? an e-bird, yeah. E-bird. <laughs> <laughs> it's an e-book. Yeah that you buy off of his website. I didn't even know about it, so I I bought it last night, but I I haven't received it yet because since it's a self-published thing, I think if he's out birding, it takes a few days. But it it does look really good Mm because he he talks about finding a species from the, like you said, from the point of view of a birder who lives there and who knows. Yeah. Um, He knows what behavioral 
speak for blah, 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 behavioral <laughs> clues to look for what habitat and he gives specific areas. He, yeah. he had, he has sample pages on his website, which I looked at. Yeah. And actually he and another person, Michael Mullen have put out three field guide apps for Panama, Belize and Costa Rica. Hmm. These are like, I don't think a substitute for a book field guide, mm -hmm. but they seem like inexpensive compliments uh, that you could bring into the field on your phone. Yeah, the question of these sort of bird finding guides and their use in an mm -hmm. age where everyone is putting their signings into eBird is sort of an interesting question as well. Um, though obviously eBird is sort of a, you know, very gross look at a place. It doesn't necessarily tell you where specifically to go to get a, a certain birds on the whole, you know, on the matrix of the of the landscape, um, where that information is super useful. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think a lot of birders, when they're planning these these trips, use eBird almost exclusively. There still is a place for, you know, a bird finding specific guide to get you that specific information um, to find mm -hmm. these birds. I guess we're talking about books, not eBird. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I actually use eBird when I'm planning a trip to these places. Like, I don't know if you do this, but I mark up my field guides when I'm planning on traveling quite mm -hmm. a bit. Um, you know, make little notations about where I'm likely to see a bird um, based on the eBird information. So, like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a way to kind of incorporate all that information together um, to be more specific. And that's something you want from a field guide. Mm -hmm. um, Big margins for you yeah, know right exactly yeah no I'm serious yeah um, but it also brings up talking about big margins and how the book is is bound and the durability the sturdiness of the book of a field guide going back mm -hmm. to what we were talking about in the beginning what we look for in a field guide um, you want a book that's fairly durable that you can drop in the water and it will still be okay. <laughs> at least for the rest of the 10-day trip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up that long, at least. A lot of publishers, like, um, definitely um, Lynx is, is doing yeah, this. Yeah, I was going to say Lynx. Um, they're doing the flexi-binding now. Mm -hmm. mm. So a lot of field guides are available in that flexi-binding, which is you know supposed to be good for that. Or you can yeah. laminate. <laughs> <laughs> While you're laminating your COVID vaccine card. <laughs> and then there's the, the the very specific guides like raptors of Mexico and Central America, mm -hmm. uh, which I think you would get if you were going to Veracruz. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bill Clark's book. It's got a relatively limited audience, I would think, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a Princeton guide, and I love that Princeton puts those guides out and just you know says we're, we know we're not going to sell a ton of books, but we're going to put it out anyway because someone is going to really, really be into it. <laughs> So kudos to Princeton and Lynx and all of our, you know, birding publishers for, for doing that. HMH. Yeah. yeah. Kudos. The Clark and, and Schmidt book is interesting because that one has photos and plates. Yes. Which is mm -hmm. not yes. common at all. This one I got recently, I got it when Princeton had their super end of the year, like 75% off sale. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it has a... It's kind of got like a nice wow factor. It's really beautiful book, and mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not as crazy about raptors as a lot of birders, but it's really quite spectacular. And it's kind of interesting with the photos because I think a lot of times with field guides, birders who are pretty focused or who have a certain level of you know veterancy, they they want 
the composite mm-hmm. nature of illustrations to help with identification. Yeah. But I think a lot of times when people are like more casual or need sort of like an entry point, the photos, photographic guides are a little less intimidating. Yeah, that's a good and, point. Yeah, but then, then so they definitely have, you know, their utility and, you know, appeal to, to certain, to, to different people. But um, then sometimes like with this book, this is a book for people who, who you know, are, are knee deep already. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure and i'd say like waist deep or neck right, deep, honestly. right you know <laughs> drowning maybe yeah, uh, yeah, so, right. <laughs> and and the photos are great so it's it's funny how that kind of comes back to that hmm. yeah that's a good point there's a couple other um kinds of books for this region that i think we might might mention briefly uh uh one is sort of like general primers on birding in the neotropics and of course like the indispensable there is uh, John Kreitzer's Neotropical yeah. Companion. For sure. Um, that's just such a wonderful book to to look through and, and learn from and then look through again. And also just to be less intimidated <laughs> by, <Yeah. laughs> by what you're going to experience. And you can even get like a good sense of like what to pack from <laughs> from, from reading that book. Uh, there's another one I had that's sort of similar um, by Forsyth and, and Miata called Tropical Nature. That's a bunch of Mm-hmm. Sort of like natural history essays. I really enjoyed that one. There are other good ones too in that sort of like that sort of subgenre. Um, and I also personally, I really like, I like um, na- like the sort of narrative books. And there are some good ones from this region too. Mm-hmm. Scotch with Alexander Scotch. He was one of the the two authors of of the first Costa Rica field guide to birds. But he wrote a ton of really, for me, wonderful memoirs about his time in Costa Rica and also when he was a little more itinerant. Imperative Call is a really nice one, Naturalist in Costa Rica. He wrote, he wrote a lot of books, like over hmm. 40 books over the course of his life, I think. Frank Chapman had a really cool book about, I forget the name of that island in the Panama Canal area that... The book is called My Tropical Air Castle. That's really cool. It's like a it's like a famous research site now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some really nice some really nice uh, narrative memoirs um, from from this region as well. We will have links to all of the books that we discussed here today in the show notes. Please check that out um, at aba.org slash podcast. I want to thank Frank and Donna for for joining me today. Um, this was good. I, I don't know. When we talk about field guides again to another part of the world, we may have gotten all the field guide talk out of the way, but uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the scope of this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nate. It was great fun. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me again. I love it. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it by joining the ABA. Members get more, like our great magazines, discounts to partners like Video Books and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and opportunities to travel with us. A lot of ABA staffers are up in Minnesota and North Dakota right now on a trip to look for boreal and grassland birds. You can get more information at aba.org join. I want to make some special shout outs to... Kim Tomko of Baltimore, Maryland, David Daryl Lambert of Chafford 100 UK, and Arthur Cook of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much for that. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, whose vows included the lines, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, for ticks and for dips, 
Technical production is by John Lowry, who refers to any wedding in which he might see a black-throated green warbler as black tie optional. Additional help from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who are taking a page from the matrimony industry and from now on are referring to field trip leaders as birding planners. You can find us online at aba.org and on the various social medias as American Birding Association or ABA. I just want to publicly thank my friends, Tim and Jane, who don't listen to this podcast, for their outdoor wedding about 15 years ago that allowed me to seed my Granville County list during their ceremony. I'm sure the vows were lovely, but that yellow-throated vario singing behind them was lovelier still. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Get vaccinated. See you next week.